When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our website skydemily.com. And alexlacey.com as well as ladieswholondon.com for more information about the podcast and what we're up to. A day late. Hello, Em. <laughs> Day late. Everybody, gosh, so sorry. Yeah, really, really sorry. It's just... Huge apologies. I, I cannot tell you how busy it is in London right now. I mean, we are just snowed under. I, I'm just working every single hour. I don't have time to respond to all the emails I'm getting. It's, it's mad. We're recording this currently at 10.30 on Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, this is how we're squishing the podcast into the first really busy season since we've uh since we've done the podcast so how are you coping em not too bad um although i did cut my own hair earlier oh no and, we've got uh, to that stage have we <laughs> <laughs> yeah well just t- actually say you know time's so precious at the moment i really don't have the time to go and sit in a salon so i was like do you know what sod it i'm just going to do the whole head over the bath scenario chop away and hope for the best this is what i'm thinking is like there's loads of things i think oh i really should do that it'd be really nice to but then i go yeah but then you've got to travel there and travel back and that takes time and that's now then three hours rather than one and it's just exactly not, it's exactly just okay. it just goes on forever in the salon doesn't it yeah um but my god i wish i went to a salon or actually i really need to now because it's just so dodgy i'm like looking at the front of my hair now and it's just so oh, wow that is wonky all right, all right, calm down. Um, I know it's really, really bad. Um, yeah, so uh... we're running on steam a little bit, aren't we? The last week I've had, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast just because it wasn't happening when I when we were in lockdown, mm, but I run my own company doing food tours and corporate events and eco friendly events and things like that. And it has just in the last few weeks gone super stellar. And last week I had six events in six days, so I was just sleeping and running events and that was it so apologies to everybody who i owe an email to it will happen it just <laughs> it's just gone it's, bonkers it's isn't gone it bonkers. um yeah i'm sure other places around the world are just the same where there's just this influx of movement and people that are wanting to travel again yeah. um which it's is also last minute but... as well mm, mm, very last minute yeah anyway moving anyway on. moving on, on to um I have to say, last week, getting so many comments about how they absolutely loved the Enon Chapel scandal. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just really, really interesting. Um, proper gory. Um, proper gory, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I personally really loved it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks. I yeah, it was it was a story that when I found out about it a while ago, I just was like, oh, this is gold dust. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. But also, I went to say I went I went to see Operation Mincemeat again last night. You did, yes, and that's, that's why we couldn't record one last of the reasons night. why we couldn't record last night. <laughs> Although I was just I was sitting there, and it was amazing. But I was so tired, I nearly fell asleep. It was oh, incredible. No. So, yeah. Oh, was it as good as the first time? Yes, though? it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I came as well. It's on until July, so if anybody wants to go, it'll be on. Um, and I suspect it might have a run elsewhere as well. It's yeah, so good. definitely, definitely. But uh, so anyway, in completely random order, talking about things as they occur to me. So um, from last week's Enon Chapel scandal, we have to figure out our podcast pedestal. What were the options, Em? So um, your option, if I remember rightly, was Dancing on the Dead. Yes. So you basically had all of these uh, funerals, all these burials underneath the chapel. And then the chaplain took the the coffins and burnt them so you just had lots of dead people under the floor basically (laughs) (laughs) and then suddenly there was this like oh actually this is a pretty cool thing and this is actually going to get people um (laughs) to come to our gig and we'll make it a thing to dance on the dead so that was your thing bonkers and what was your thing i'm going to make you remember them both because my brain's not working today (laughs) goodness me so mine was the fact that you know you had this chaplain or member of the church that did all these terrible things but he had his comeuppance because his um body was found underneath his own chapel and his head was shriveled and i just um just love the image of his little shriveled head well we don't know exactly where his body was found but yeah the shriveled head which then greeted people at the end of their tour a little bit later yes. George Walker was uh, exhuming everybody and making a, another, yet another spectacle out of the whole thing so again it's quite a close one this week uh, it's 55 to 45% right and it's gone a different way than I thought it was going to go oh it's gone shriveled head I thought I was going to walk it oh my god yes. <laughs> Maybe, maybe switching the days around to the Wednesday didn't uh, didn't play in my favour quite so much. Oh my goodness me! Yeah, went for shriveled head. So there you go. You're a win. I won last week as well, didn't I? I, d- I genuinely can't remember what I did three hours ago. So yeah, I'm... let's go with yes. <laughs> I remember. I remember being really shocked last week as well. Wow! I would have I totally have thought that people would go for Dancing on the Dead, but wow, brilliant! Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs> yeah, thanks everyone. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Great, cool. So, what's cool. the uh, what's the overall scores on the doors, George Doors? Um, so I think it's currently ten eight to me. Okay, okay, not not unsurmountable. No, but you know, still, congratulations, right. Em. <laughs> Shut up, you got a wonky fringe, right? <laughs> a wonky friend. A fringe. <laughs> I know. So this week it's your week to uh, discuss. Now you've gone for well you've gone food stuff you've gone biscuits <laughs> food obsessed at the moment bloody hell <laughs> um yes yeah, so a couple of weeks ago i i talked about tudor etiquette and we mm. spoke about food and yes this week um we are in bermondsey again we have been in bermondsey before for a couple of things one thing actually was quite smelly but not mm. smelly in the good sense like i'm going to be talking about today smelly in the the manure sense because we were talking about the tanning industry yeah, wasn't the leather, the leather yeah. all that. 
Um, and Bermondsey is quite a sensory experience, really, when it comes to looking into the history of Bermondsey, because you've had so many different factories and so many things that's happened there to cause a bit of a smell. So you had the tanneries, you had the Neckinger uh, river that was absolutely foul. Um, you had the jam factory, the pickle factory, and you had the biscuit factory, which is mm. what I'm going to be focusing on today. Um, do you know much about the biscuit factory? I, almost nothing, actually. I, I've been past it a few times because mm. you and I don't live too far away. Mm. Um, but no, I, I know there's quite a lot of factories around there that have since been turned into accommodation. Like the there was the one that used to do the the seal skins, which was I think it's now called the Canada one, I think. Uh, but there's a few, isn't there? So I, I assume it's now apartments. But I, I, other than that, I don't really know anything. Okay, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you a story, and it's about biscuits. Um, so it it kind of starts in the 19th century with a chap called James Peak, who was born in Devon, and he was one of three brothers. And they decided to basically create this tea importation company, um, which was huge. It was in the east end of London. It was called Peak Brothers. And they were by the 19, sorry, by the 1840s even, um, importing about five million pounds worth of tea per year. Yeah. So, you know, we've got some wealthy brothers on our hands, basically. Um, he marries, James Peake marries a woman called Elizabeth Masters, and they obviously have really, a good time. Really, really hoping you were going to say her name was Elizabeth Biscuits. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> Elizabeth Crunchy. Um, and uh, they have eight children. Whoa. And <laughs> yeah, this is the 19th century, remember. Yeah, um, and two of the sons suddenly said, look, Dad, we don't want to be part of your business. And he was like, look, you know, that, that's not good enough. But I understand that you might want to go in your own direction, but please do something that is kind of linked to what we do. So he convinced them basically to open up a, uh, a biscuit factory. I mean, this and- is genius, isn't it? <laughs> Going, we can, we can help each other out here. You know, everyone loves a good dunking biscuit. Well, so- you say that, but oh, this is the time... At the time, you wouldn't go, oh, I really feel like a biscuit. Like, you know, now you'd be like, oh, it'd be lovely to have a cup of tea and a biscuit. If someone offered you a biscuit, it's quite hard to say no. (laughs) This is the time when biscuits were a necessity if you were out on a long journey. So say, for instance, if you're a sailor out at sea in the the hold, um, if that's the right (laughs) term of phrase for a boat, um, you would have had a a huge amount of biscuits because, of course, they're going to stay... as fresh as can be well i say as fresh as can be mm. they're, they're hard as a rock but they're still edible aren't they yeah and they're not they're not pack them with sugar though are they they're they're um oh well some might have been but the ships yeah. were quite you know dry and mealy and what yeah but they soon realized that you needed sugar in there to keep up their energy oh, so yeah. as we kind of push towards the late 1800s they definitely get a little bit sweeter okay. Um, so this is where we are with kind of biscuits at the time. Um, but it's a little bit sad, actually, because these two brothers who say, OK, you know, we'll create this, this biscuit emporium, Dad. Um, one of them dies really young at the age of about 20, I think it was. And one of them emigrates to North America. Right. So, <laughs> so Dad kind of takes it on himself anyway. Um, and the, the company is known as Peak and Freem. Peak because of James Peak and Freen comes from George Hendafreen, who married one of James's daughters. 
And he was quite influential for the business because he was a miller and he worked uh, with creating biscuits for ships. So he was quite, um, quite important to the business. And they had uh, their first building in Bermondsey. The main one that still partly exists today was their second building. So their first one um, was quite small in comparison to their second. And it was located on Mill Street, which is very close to, if anyone's familiar with Bermondsey, so the co-op, which is near since... <laughs> St. Saviour's Dock. Um, it's kind of there. It's very close to the Thames, which would be brilliant because, of course, if they needed the flour and sugar and all sorts of different things for making biscuits, they could easily, um, you know, have it up the coming up the river and then easily bring it into their their warehouse. They, they couldn't just go to the co-op. unfortunately not unfortunately not um we also start seeing the name car john car starting to to jump into the business in the middle of the 19th century and he was an apprentice son of uh the carlisle based scottish milling factory which was quite big and it's him who actually starts to create shortbread in the factory and i'll come to different things that they they created shortly um, and they're getting pretty big. I mean, by the 1860s, they're starting to export biscuits to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're getting so big that actually they need to start looking for new premises. But before they do, they have to complete a huge order, which is from the French army for 470 tonnes of biscuits. Whoa! Yeah, for the ration packs, which are supplied to soldiers fighting the franco-prussian war oh my goodness yeah so which tells us that obviously their company was very well known um and when it came to london you know this was the main biscuit factory if you wanted biscuits these are the guys that were going to do it for you have you heard of sweet pearl biscuits nope okay so um they how can i describe it to you it's kind of like um it's a little circle. It, it almost looks a little bit like shortbread, okay. but they're very, very delicate. I think if you di- duck, uh, dunked it in a cup of tea, it wouldn't take long before it crumbled. Oh dear, not a dunker. No, no not a dunker. Um, and they created, uh, they say, 11 million or around 11 million sweet pearl biscuits in celebration of the end of this particular siege. <laughs> what? Yeah. That they were yeah. sending out to, to the French army? Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's just mad, isn't it? Um, Now, whilst they were looking for the second building, because they needed bigger premises, sadly, the first building burnt down. So they were like, right, well, we definitely need to move now. Um, So there was this huge fire which roared through the building in the 1870s. And it was so big that Queen Victoria's son, the Prince of Wales, who later becomes King Edward VII, he actually um, asked to be taken down to Bermondsey in a carriage so that he can um, be, you know, a spectator (laughs) to watch this fire take place. You know, it was obviously news travelled down to Westminster pretty quickly. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious! Yeah, let's just go on a, on a destruction tourism thing. I, mean, I suppose people <laughs> yeah. do that now, don't they? I guess. But... Yeah, true, true. Um, now, Carr, who I mentioned earlier, he had quite a lot of lands, and he actually just purchased um, about ten acres in Bermondsey within the area of Clements Road and Drummond's Road, which is where the second building 
aka the biscuit factory is located and actually if you see little maps of bermondsey if you're waiting for a bus in the area if you're outside the tube you know you can get those kind of black and white maps with a circle telling you you are here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in yellow you'll see certain kind of points of interest and in yellow on the maps you'll see it will say biscuit factory and it okay. gives you a kind of uh, idea of how big or how much of the building they still have left um but I'll, I'll come back to kind of modern times for the biscuit factory at the end um now when they purchased their new building it was next to a manure company and a tripe boiling works <laughs> <laughs> and they were like this just gonna isn't go gonna well. work this is gonna be Old terrible flavors for biscuits yeah 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 and as i say you know when it comes to bermondsey it's quite a sensory experience especially if you live there in the 19th century um and actually if you did live in the 19th century in the area you would have been um well you would have found it incredibly hard it very, very poor and we've touched upon on a previous episode when we talked about the sorters how Bermondsey was just um just a slum really yeah. so it wasn't a very nice place to live because you had all these smells but more people started to come in when the uh the biscuit making factory started to take over more land because it started to smell so lovely on the streets mm-hmm. you have that kind of that warm baking smell that kind of homely cozy feeling that you get maybe for me personally mostly around christmas time um you know it's the only time i ever bake <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've done that for about five years but anyway you know um so it this is where it was actually known and uh, became known in the papers people called it biscuit town which you know just suddenly changes the whole idea of bermondsey that's a very different image isn't it biscuit town mm. sounds like something out of a I don't know. Yeah, like almost like a Christmas movie. Um, yeah. Or, or uh, you know, a lovely kind of kids book or something. Yeah, you can imagine the gates to Bermondsey with like this massive gingerbread man figure being like, "Welcome to Bermondsey." <laughs> I feel like you're extrapolating slightly here, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, now uh, this is the time actually when James Peake, the original founder, he decides to step down at this point. So um, you've still got the Freens and you've still got the cars involved. And at this point, you've got about 4,000 people that are employed in the factory. Apparently, everybody knew somebody that worked there. And if you did work there, you were treated very well. There was a doctor on site. So if you personally needed to see somebody and you were finding it hard to, to go and see your GP, then because you worked in the factory, you could go and see a doctor. Oh. Um, this was the same as a dentist. They had their own amateur dramatic society, which I just think is fantastic. (laughs) Definitely someone playing the gingerbread character, like, hello. (laughs) You're really wedded to this gingerbread character, aren't you? (laughs) Um, They also had their own kind of sports teams. And like every year, I imagined that they would have probably gone over to Southwark Park um, and, you know, kind of split up into teams and just had a really good time. I like this idea, though, about these, these factories providing work but also starting to provide a a social element to it as well I mean we Mm. talked a while ago about the match girls and that was a very much not that case it was a it was a case where they were paying literally to work in some occasions so I love this this change of of going man we need to make life nicer for people and actually looking after their workers it's it's really quite 
well it was quite forward thinking yeah absolutely um around the side of uh the factory you would have found after school hours just queues and queues of children and that's because they had a little shop if you went into the shop i don't know how much it would have been but you were handed a crunchy white bag and in this bag were broken biscuits Oh, you got so, to love the broken biscuits. You got to love the broken biscuits. So, of course, if it's broken, then they can't sell them on. But you know, they kind of can because they've got their own shop and they just put some random biscuit selections in a crunchy little white bag, and off you go. You know, you pay a couple of pennies and Did you off you get toddle. Boxes of broken biscuits when you were a kid. I remember my grandma yeah. buying them. Yeah, yeah. I don't absolutely. know if they do that anymore. No, I don't think they do. Yeah. Why? Yeah, so good. It's like yeah. like chip scraps. You know, the end of the the kind of crunchy bits at the end of the chip fry. Yeah. It's, and it also, you don't know how many biscuits you're eating. So there's not as much guilt as, you yeah. know, just like jamming the whole kind of, the whole biscuit two, in. Two half jammy dodgers is not, is not one jammy dodger. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> no, no, it's really it. not. No, 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 it's definitely not. Um, now the factory was so big that they even had their own fire station. Oh, well, I mean, after the first go, you know, once bitten, twice shy. True. And, um, they would need to. I mean, this is the time as well when people are doing a lot of things by hand. I mean, yes, they've got huge machineries. Um, for instance, they've got like a, they would have had a huge machine that would have been rolling out the dough, but you still needed somebody there to kind of make sure that it was going in the right direction and to make sure that it needed to be um, uh, kind of cut just in case bits were going to fall off the sides. And it was a huge operation and very dangerous for mm. some people that worked there in terms of, you know, what they were doing and how close to the machinery they were getting. Yeah. Um, it was the first factory in London to be supplied by electricity. Really? Ding. Um, they also has, and I love this, a staff magazine. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but they must have been quite forward thinking in uh, equality because apparently one of their columns was entitled Feminine Matters. Oh. And this is in 1908. Blimey, that's pretty... Uh, well, I mean, you've got the, the height of the suffragette movement then, haven't you, really? Yeah, so yeah, true. It's going to be at the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what, just, please, please tell me that this newspaper has a really punny title. I think it's called The Biscuit Box. That'll do. That's okay. Yeah, you're into that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could be worse. Could be worse. Could be worse. Um, now, at this point, and we're kind of, you know, as I say, early 1900s, you've now got the Freen family that have come away, but you've got the cars that have remained. And Arthur Carr starts to get involved, and he eventually becomes chairman of the factory. And his name can be found on a slide within the grounds of St. James's uh, Church. A slide? Yeah, so if you go to St. James's Church, church which is just around the corner from Bermondsey station you will find a slide and it's called the joy slide and this was created by the great great grandson of Arthur Carr and it is a, a remake albeit it looks completely different from the original but it's a remake that Arthur Carr produced in 1921 and when he produced this slide in 1921 for Bermondsey it was kind of like the first first kind of slide of this kind that you would have seen in London anyway. In the papers, they referred to it as an American slide because it was so kind of strange to Are see. Are you talking like about a slide for kids to go down? Yeah, 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 oh, like okay. a playground slide. And he um, wanted this because he noticed that lots of children would queue up next to 
the um, the entrance to the church where you had these kind of uh, stairwells, should I say? I, well, I don't know how to describe this really, but these kind of slopes along the stairs, mm-hmm. and children would just slide along it, you know, for fun. Oh. So he put a lot of money forward, along with Aid Sorter. You can actually find a picture on the slide. It's called the Joy Slide um, of Arthur and Ada together, oh, and wow. we've spoke about her on a recent pod, haven't we? Well, not recently, but yeah, quite a while ago now. <laughs> yeah, when I say recent, <laughs> but I yeah, mean, we definitely yeah. talked about I love Ada Salter. She's, she's such a legend. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, in 1906, um, there was a documentary. And uh, the reason, you know, that I'm, I'm talking about these people working next to the machines and shaping all the dough is because I've watched this documentary, which was by Cricks and Sharp. And you can find it quite easy on YouTube. And it shows you people... Uh, working in the factory and it's just mesmerizing to see people working with all the pastry and the dough and cutting and I don't know if you ever kind of like are up late at night and you watch those videos on Instagram where you see people like pushing bits of cake and like weird things it's quite it's It's quite like mesmeric isn't it yes absolutely it's wonderful Uh, now let's get to the biscuits now, a lot of biscuits that the uh, this factory were creating um, had these holes in. They were known as the docker holes. And the holes were produced in the biscuits kind of as a brand, but also as a necessity because it lets the air rise and escape and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't turn into bread, essentially. Um, so if I tell you about the, the biscuits with the holes in, can you think of any, any biscuits that you you enjoy today or have enjoyed previously that might have been produced um well i mean jammy dodger but that's that's holes filled with jam what other ones with holes in i can't think so you've got shortbread so if you think of the shortbread they've got the little holes in oh gary gary baldy yeah, nice guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, you had uh, digestive biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't um, mean like holes punched all the way through, but you mean like little dimples? No, the little dimples. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 the little dimples. Sorry, I probably didn't describe that well. Yeah, the little dimples. Um, and one, which is actually my favourite, uh, the bourbon biscuit. Oh, I love a bourbon. I love a bourbon biscuit and a custard cream, of course. Oh, my God. Would you eat a bourbon and a crusted cream just like, you know, all in one? Or would you take the top off and then eat the middle bit separately? Yeah, take the top off, eat the middle bit. Yes. <laughs> yes, me too. Me if, too. if we've got anyone listening who is not from the UK and doesn't know what these biscuits are, you're going to think we are mad. <laughs> I mean, there's an accuracy to that, but you're going to have to go and Google all these biscuits because uh, it's, it's like a religion over here, isn't it? Yeah, because biscuits means different things in different places as yes. well, doesn't it? It, so That's, yeah in america yeah. they are more like cookies. um well yeah biscuits are cookies but they do use the word biscuits but i think they're more sort of like scones or something yeah that are savory yeah anyway we yeah. know what biscuits are really yeah we do now the bourbon biscuit was actually known as the criola initially um the bourbon name comes in in the 1930s well actually originally it was called well it was criola and then it was the bourbon creams so they and were then created it was by peak green were they Yes. Yeah. Well, created by Peak Freen, but they were actually kind of designed by a German inventor, if you like, called Dr. Hans Zenlock. Great name. Yeah. He worked for Cadbury's and created them there. And then eventually they started being created or produced in this particular 
biscuit factory. And there's been a bit of speculation about the name Bourbon. Some people think that it comes from Bourneville, uh, connected to where the professor created um, created the biscuit. His hometown was Bonn, so maybe Bourbon. Um, yeah, some people thinking that it's Bourbon, which means the best butter. Oh, I see. Because um, they would have used the the top of the milk, butter from the top of the milk, which apparently mm. is the best butter. Okay. Well, I guess it would be because it's like, you know, cream, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. And did you know that a penguin is a bourbon biscuit, but with different chocolate on the outside? Yeah, no, really? Yeah. Seriously? Seriously. All your biscuit facts here, gang. Yeah. Everything you wanted to know. And, and so, right. Tell me that a, a penguin was invented by Peak Freen. No. no, 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 no. Just the bourbon, just the bourbon biscuit. But yeah, that I can't believe that. But it's, as I say, it's a different chocolate. It's a McVitie's chocolate coated penguin. Okay. Um, but yeah, there we go. And um, apparently, um, the bourbon was the first ever biscuit to be consumed. On the moon. Uh, on the moon. On the moon? <laughs> I, uh, I feel like there's some scientific impossibilities about that. <laughs> on the moon. Yeah, by a man called Edwin Hawthorne. <laughs> I mean, obviously right. he was in a spaceship. He wasn't just like, hang on a minute, Lance, I'm just going <laughs> just... to... You mean in space, the first biscuit in space? Or when, no, it was, when the they moon. were on the surface of the moon? On the, on the surface of the moon. Just not <laughs> taking his helmet off. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you might die, yeah, but yeah, but it's really worth it. Years, ladies who London are going to talk about this. So. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah. Um, now they didn't just make um, sweet stuff; they also made uh, twiglets. Oh, yes. Who doesn't love a twiglet? Well, actually, I guess it's kind of uh, they're a bit marmitey, aren't they? So you either love them or literally, hate them. They are. They are they literally marmite. Marmite. Um, and they used to sell them kind of as a like a Christmas treat. They used to be quite a high class cocktail accompaniment. So oh. if you're having a cocktail, then you might have this kind of drum of uh, of twiglets. Is there still which... a big thing? I only ever re eat, really eat them at Christmas as well. Yeah, yeah. So again, were they invented by Peak Freen? Yes. Wow. Mm. So I guess over time, different companies have then bought the different like brands or whatever because. Twiglets are obviously not made by any company called Peak Freen anymore, are they? No, no. And actually, they established quite a few different factories in different buildings around the world. So they also created a factory in Dum Dum in India, which okay. is still producing biscuits there today. Right. Um, they also created a factory in Australia, and they actually sent out people that worked in the Bermondsey factory to Australia to train the staff in Sydney. You know, this is what we do. This is how we want you to do it. Um, Canada, they established their first bakery in Canada in the 1940s. Okay. And actually, if you go to where it was established, you can find uh, roads, which um, you've got a, a Bermondsey Road there. You've got a Peak, Freen, a Peak Freens Road there as well. Really? Um, yeah, which is quite nice. That's so funny. Mm. Um, but it all has to end, doesn't it? It has to end at some point. So um, the factory itself in Bermondsey closes after 126 years and produces its very last biscuit, which I believe was a custard cream, um, on the 29th of May, 1989. Okay. 
So this is where, obviously, they then sell all these biscuits on because if they're going to close, then eek. Yeah, and of course, you know, you can still get these biscuits today. So it's not like, oh, God, you know, we're never going to have a custard cream again. They're still very much there. But this particular factory in Bermondsey had to close. Um, And they actually sold off each acre for a million pounds. Really? Yeah. In Bermondsey? In Bermondsey. That's impressive. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Very. Now, today, um, I have actually been in part of it because part of the biscuit factory is the arch, which is a climbing wall centre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's part of it. But there are huge plans which are going to be um changing the face of the area um and these plans are being delivered by grosvenor britain and ireland who you know take over so much land um but there's a few questions about how it's going to be changed because a lot of people still want that element of history and that element Mm -hmm. of remembering the biscuit factory especially as i said you know there were so many people that worked there and you would still have a lot of people that live in Bermondsey today that remembers their relative, like their parents or grandparents that used to work there. Um, But it is being changed. However, you can go into part of the old biscuit factory this coming September during open house, which is very exciting. So they're opening it up on a couple of days, one of which is Friday, the 10th of September. And I believe it's going to be Saturday as well. You do need to book, quite soon if you do want to do it because the capacity that they can only take is 20 people and this is from 10 until 2 so it's quite long Mm. um uh well actually you don't have to be there the whole entire time obviously (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's pretty cool they've actually made a few discoveries as well they discovered quite recently that there's this uh arch tunnel this kind of brick arch tunnel underneath uh the factory floor so with that they kind of have to um kind of block that area off and kind of find out what what on earth that is and if it's stable etc wow um but yes, and one little discovery that was made in 2011, discovered at the back of a kitchen cupboard in Dorset, was a little tin, and it was a tinned Christmas pudding. Oh. Yeah, by Peak and Freen. And it was actually a Peak and Freen teetotal plum pudding for Christmas. Oh, so no booze. No booze, and they know why. They produced a thousand of these. So it's quite incredible that this one still exists and Mm. is still, you know, contained. I'd be so tempted to open up and just have a smell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they made a thousand of these uh, from about the the early 1900s. And the idea came from a man who was superintendent of the Royal Naval Temperance Society. He was a man called Agnes Weston. And because he was part of the Temperance Society, um, that's why the recipe is You wouldn't is, think uh, temperance free. and the Navy go together very well, would you? No, no, no. They were probably quite upset when they received that in the post yeah. <laughs> um, or out at sea. Um, so, yes, but one little exciting thing is that I have found quite recently that there is a museum. And I was telling you about this a couple of days ago. Mm. And um, so there's a museum which is ran in the area by two men that used to work in the factory. And on display are just so many wonderful things. So you can find, for instance, a replica 
of the wedding cake that was gifted by Peak Freens to the then Princess Elizabeth when she married uh, Prince Philip in 1947. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really beautiful cake and it's got all sorts of kind of um, little features on it, like little battleships and lots of naval links for her husband and just lots of different kind of beautiful flowers. And so that's really cool. So you can see kind of a double of that. Mm. Um, you can find lots of beautiful tins. And if you purchased a Peak and Freen tin, on the adverts, on the posters, you know, they would give you ideas of what you could do with your tin after use. So you could use it as, you know, some something for storing pencils or you could keep makeup in it. And there is one where you have four tins and they slot together like a piece of Lego and they turn into what looks like a robot. So, oh, wow. yeah, so um, quite a simplistic robot, but still this kind of metal robot and it would give people that impetus to buy more than one tin oh, so that for Christmas their children could put all four together and, and have a toy at the same time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they've just got lots of lots of incredible stuff. They've also got what seems to be this kind of Harry Potter spells book where you can find all of the recipes for all of the biscuits that they made and also biscuits um, that they came up with that they thought actually nobody's going to like. So really kind of uh, <laughs> disgusting flavours and things. But yeah, and if you are interested in learning more, there is actually a book that I have found. I haven't purchased it already myself, but it's called Bourbon Creams and Tattered Dreams. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's by somebody um, whose father worked in the factory and it came out in 2017. Gosh, that's a, that's a great title. I kind of want that to be my obituary. <laughs> yeah, bourbon creams and tattered dreams. Um, so there we go. So how can we visit the museum? What's the uh, the situation there? So you need to get in touch with them. So I will put information into the show notes. Um, and I did say to you that we could do a little group outing. We could potentially. Yeah. So if anybody out there is listening to this and thinks, actually, you know, I live live in London or visiting London. <laughs> actually, I'm if you're visiting London, fan. you're here for a few days. <laughs> Would you want to? Um, but if this is, you know, up your alley, then um, please let us know. And then I can, yeah, see what the capacity is and how many people we can fit in. Because I don't think it's huge. Um, but yeah, it could be quite fun. Could be fun. Share a yeah. biscuit. We've we've still to put anything together for uh, some outings, and it's very, just simply because we've run out of time a little bit. We will we'll get round to something. Um, this season's taking us a bit by surprise, hasn't it? So yeah, we will. I think definitely I think kind we of we have more time than we did. Yeah, at the end of the summer, you'll see a lot more things coming your way in the the way of outings and different things yeah we're just trying to keep our heads above water at the moment well yeah. fab thank you so much Emma. That, was a, that was a great chat i didn't yeah i mean I, i've seen the peak freen name around and i didn't really i had no idea that that's where bourbon and and other um you know twiglets and things all originated and i had some twiglets in my house for christmas last year less than a mile from where they were created so that makes me quite happy yeah yeah that's true yeah lovely yeah, oh, I'm really upset that I haven't got any biscuits with me. I mean, nobody wants to listen to a podcast and hear no. someone go. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, <laughs> but still, it'd be nice to have a cup of tea now with a bourbon. Oh, man. Well, it's, it's time for bed, so probably not. But anyway. Yeah, um, true. Podcast pedestal. So we have to go on and look at our podcast pedestal toppers for today. Mm. What are you going to go for? 
So I think I'm going to have to go for this whole four tins making up a robot. I'm going to have to try and find a picture. Um, Because I just think it's so versatile and it's such a good way of attracting mum and dad and also the child. So, yeah, I'm going to go for the... um, the changeable tins okay that's a nice one i like that one i'm gonna go for i know exactly what i'm gonna go for this week i'm gonna go for the joy slide because i really like Who that are you? Oh, idea. yeah i like that they were putting things in place for the local community as well as just having a factory and and using people's sort of energy and mm. brain power to make stuff and that that but yeah i really like that they did that and i like that it's still there today it albeit is, in a slightly different today. form Oh, did you really? Oh. I did, yeah. Um, yeah, slightly different form, but nonetheless, it is, you know, it's still there and it is still making the kids of the neighbourhood happy. So I like that. I think that's a really lovely legacy. And the fact that the photo, you said the photo of, um, well, we're back to our old friend Ada Salter and uh, mm. and the photo of the other guy, or the name at least, is on there. Um, I mean, I think that's that just shows you, doesn't it? You can you can make stuff and create things, but it's, it's what you do to make everyone's lives a bit nicer. So I, I'm going to go for the joy slide nice yeah, lovely. yeah yeah and you can as i say yeah see these really lovely pictures of what it used to look like and yeah it's it's very nice it's quite it's quite weird it's got the kind of mock tudor style the old mm. one yeah i was um, just looking up pictures of it as uh, mm. as you were talking yeah you can also uh, find pictures on it of uh, the children going down the little kind of um stone banister yeah nice well there we go that's it for this week we for uh, your podcast pedestals so um have you got any parish notices before we head on? I don't think I do. No, I, I don't think, think I do. I actually do. either. No. Other than to say, if anyone's expecting an email from me, please just hang in there or or give me a nudge um, because I am <laughs> just emailing all the time at the moment. So apologies if you are expecting one, but I haven't forgotten about you. I'm just trudging my way through everything. The Wheel of Destiny. So, uh We'll spend time and I was having a little think because we've done quite a few places or events lately. So I'm feeling the draw to a person. Um, so, yeah, let's let's just let's go for it. Right. Off we go. Oh, it's landed in a place not too far from an area that we've mentioned before, but I've never it's never landed here. It's Belgravia. Oh. Oh, Belgravia. Mm. Oh, that's fun. Um, there. Oh, goodness me. There is a ton of stuff. I'm just trying to think about people who are linked. Um, oh, actually, I know exactly who. She's right at the top of my mind. Oh, do you know what? This is quite an interesting little link. So um, I did a tour last weekend with uh, the lovely Rosie Bagonzi. Hi, Rosie, um, who listens to the podcast. Hi, Rosie. And it was her birthday and she brought a, a bunch of really fun mates and we did a lovely kind of mashup of black history and women's history and all sorts of stuff on a roaring hot day. Um, and one of the people I talked about, uh, which is why she's at the top of my head right now, is a lady called Sophia Duleep Singh. And the reason this comes around rather nicely, now I have talked about her on Global Tea Break, the Instagram thing I did, but um, I know that a lot of people are have never saw that, so uh, I'm going to do her again. And she is very closely linked to the Koh-i-Noor story. That we spoke about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. because uh, Maharaja Duleep Singh, the young boy who was brought over to England and who, in, in uh, air quotes, gifted the Koh i Noor to Queen Victoria, is her father. 
right. And she goes on to have a very interesting story of her own. So I think I'm going to do Sophia Dulibasin. Sounds absolutely fabulous. Can't wait. That's next week's one. Amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, for our part, we are going to try and record a little bit earlier in the week, which is one of the reasons why we've moved the uh, the date of the podcast pedestal voting to earlier in the week. Um, so hopefully we won't be late again. Um, but thank you all for being patient. And uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming and listening. And... <laughs> yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I can't believe how late it is. I can't believe no. we're recording this this late. <laughs> I've now got to edit this and get this up before half past 12 in the morning um, so that it can go out for, for Thursday morning. But there we go. So next week, hopefully it'll be back to Wednesday um, and we'll see you then. But for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.